Around 4 a.m. on October 29, 1919, the worst maritime disaster to ever occur in Muskegon took place. Today on Muskegon History and Beyond, we look at the cause, the accident, and the fallout of that wreck as we look back to the wreck of the steamer Muskegon. Now before we go more in-depth into the episode, I do want to note a clarification. I will be referring to the ship as the steamer Muskegon, or just the Muskegon, to keep it separate from a steamship or SS Muskegon, which burned and sank in Chicago in 1910. Note too, there are also other Muskegons, but not that sailed on the Great Lakes. Also, some of you may have heard the name of this ship as the City of Muskegon, which follows the tradition of its names before, as it was originally called the City of Milwaukee and later City of Holland. However, the Chronicle refers to it as the Muskegon, or Steamer Muskegon, so I will stick with that name. Our topic today got its start as the City of Milwaukee. It was built in a shipyard in Detroit in 1881 and was 231 foot long and 34 foot wide. It was made to haul cargo but also to be used as a deluxe passenger ship holding around 60 guests plus crew. The ship was a side wheel steamer with big paddle wheels powered by steam to propel it forward. Throughout its life, it made many trips between the three big ports in Lake Michigan, Chicago, Milwaukee, and Muskegon. The ship, though, tended to have bad luck and was in accidents and dealt with mechanical issues frequently. The ship was sold to a resident in Holland and there took on the name City of Holland. Eventually, the Crosby Line would buy the ship for use in the route between Muskegon and Milwaukee. In 1919, the Crosby Line gave the ship a tune-up and made repairs on it before the season began. However, by the end of the season, the ship seemed to be having some issues which may have contributed to its wreck. On October 27th, the steamer Muskegon left Milwaukee bound for Muskegon. The weather was nice initially on setting out, but as so often happens in the Great Lakes in the fall, the weather switched rather quickly to very nasty. As the 27th turned into the 28th, the Muskegon was nearing its namesake. The waves had gotten substantial, and Captain Miller had ordered oil to be dumped into the water, a common practice among sailors at the time to help calm the waves around the ship. Right around 4 a.m., the crew spotted the entrance to Muskegon Lake and the channel. At that time, the channel was straight concrete piers that extended into Lake Michigan with a light and fog signal house at the end. As Muskegon tried to make the turn into the relative safety between the break walls, a large wave lifted and pushed the ship into the southern pier. The wooden ship instantly bore a large hole as water started to pour in. The captain tried to reverse the ship, but it was stuck fast on the pier and so called out to abandon ship. Crew and passengers stirred from their beds and tried to make their way to the deck. However, as water was coming in and everyone was disoriented from the abrupt awakening, this was a difficult task. To make matters worse, the power aboard the ship went out as the water came in, leaving the ship in complete darkness. While the evacuation was going on, the water was also pounding the ship into the pier with every wave and it started to break apart. The passengers who had managed to make it out of their rooms and up to the top had to jump off the ship and onto the pier to reach safety. Thankfully, for these people, the assistant lighthouse keeper, R.J. Jakborski, had noticed the ship's plight and had sounded the alarm and rushed to the scene with a flashlight in hand. With his light, he managed to help guide those who had escaped to the pier, and he was later recognized by the state representative and coast guard. The other hero of the wreck was second mate Fred Stevens, who guided passengers to safety until the ship was destroyed, 
and had to be rescued from the chilly channel water where he was clinging to a piece of wreckage. It had taken roughly 10 minutes from once the Muskegon hit the pier until it was turned into driftwood. It was quickly obvious that not everyone had made it out of the ship before this time, especially those who were in the lower decks on the ship on the side that had struck the pier. Searches for the bodies began at once and expanded with daylight. However, the strong waves pushed those along the shoreline and into Muskegon Lake. By the 29th of October, 21 deaths had been confirmed with some 50 survivors. However, the process of identifying those was slow as messages had to be sent out throughout the Midwest as most didn't have any identification or objects of importance on them. Even one year later, a body was discovered near Grand Haven from the wreck. A diver was called upon to dive on the wreck to see if more bodies could be retrieved, but he was unable to locate any. As time went on, a few more were discovered missing and the death count increased. I have seen anywhere between 22 and 31 deaths claimed by the wreck. Upon news of the wreck spreading in Muskegon, onlookers and looters rushed forward. According to the Chronicle, just a few hours after the wreck saw residents in boats coming down the channel to pick up floating debris. Crowds also flocked to the beach and pier, and cargo from the ship and passengers was considered fair game by many. The Goodrich Line, though, thought otherwise and quickly hired some guards. The Coast Guard also positioned men as well to try and drive off the looters and souvenir hunters. In a twist of fate, the Chronicle mentions in an article that some of those who got to the scene early and grabbed handfuls of loot were later robbed by other men making their way down to the beach. A few days later, when the weekend hit, no amount of guards could keep the onlookers away from the scene. With part of the ship still lodged on the pier, it was quite the sight. That weekend was the busiest at the beach all year, with some 25,000 coming to gawk. It is mentioned that cars parking along the beach stretched for two miles. The traction company had to transfer cars to service the beach, and both restaurants and hotels had banner days. Speaking to the Chronicle on the 29th of October, the despondent Captain Miller explained what had happened as thus, quote, The last 30 minutes was about as rough as I have ever experienced on Lake Michigan. It was just as I picked up the light at Muskegon that the storm cut loose. I don't know whether she touched bottom in the trough of one of those big seas on the bar of the entrance to the harbor. She might have done this, and so checked the steamer that she lost steerage way. At any rate, she was caught on the great sea and tossed broadside against the pier. He further said, quote, They will probably send me to hell, but I did all that I could. End quote. At this point in time, Miller had been a captain on the Great Lakes for 20 years and had never had an incident such as this. October 29th also began a federal inquiry into what had happened. Both the captain and crew, along with passengers and life-saving crew, were called to Grand Haven to testify before the inquiry. The three main components to be examined were the condition of the ship prior to its sinking, the conduct of the captain and crew before and during, and to judge the conduct of the life-saving crew including R.J. Jekborski. In the inquiry, the court found that Jekborski and second mate Fred Stevens had acted very honorably and they were given special recognition. Testimony was also heard from an engineer on the ship who worked for the Crosby Company, who was just a passenger at the time. He had said that he thought the engines sounded like they weren't working properly and had a bad feeling about the trip. But he also mentioned that he thought that if the ship had 15 more seconds, it could have made the channel without incident. It seems inquiry found no fault and ruled it an accident. By November 1st, the U.S. government declared that what remained of the ship would be removed as it posed a risk to navigating the channel in rough waves. 
The insurance company for the Goodrich Line also declared the ship a total loss and said it was formally abandoned. In 1920, the government began work on cleaning up the wreck and finished it in time for the height of the shipping season. While there have been shipwrecks and maritime disasters in the area near Muskegon, none have had the impact or loss of life as the wreck of the Muskegon. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back in two weeks for our next episode.